You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday, Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Seattle Sports Saturday. Lydia Cruz alongside Taylor Jacobs and Seattle Sports Saturday officially gone international this morning. Yes. I'm <laughs> up here in lovely Vancouver, British Columbia at Rogers Arena. Uh, there are maybe four people inside this arena right now, which is extremely spooky, and one of them sitting next to me. So it's uh, it's a definitely a vibe in here right now, but it's really cool, really thankful uh, to everyone up here, the Aquilini group, the Canucks, and the Vancouver Titans for uh, inviting us up. And uh, hopefully you, me, and Curtis can come up here at some point in the future and talk some hockey, talk some esports, and talk all things Northwest sports. Everything that Seattle Sports Saturday loves. And uh, unfortunately, Seabrod's not with us today because he also is across the country hanging yeah. out in Miami for the Super Bowl. Not bad, you know? Yeah, I think he's having a different experience than the two of us <laughs> yeah. at the Super Bowl in Miami. Although I heard some, uh, there was some bad weather uh, last <gasps> night that rolled into Miami. What? having to cancel some of the uh, pre-match events. So, Uh-oh. All right. Yeah, well, kind of crazy. So hopefully everyone's staying dry. Exactly. You know, staying safe. And uh, hopefully Curtis will be back next week to fill us in with all the deets on what what, uh, what it was like there. I know. Being there in person for an entire week on Radio Row with John Clayton. So we'll get to hear from him next week. It'll be nice to be back, the crew back together. Mm-hmm. And, Tay, I do want to get into what you're doing up there eventually in the show because – yeah, it's a pretty cool event that you'll you're there for today, and 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 we want to hear about it. Yeah, we'll talk about yeah. So basically, I'll just give you a, a, a tease that I'm Teaser. here for a Vancouver Titans event, and we'll talk about what that means and what's happening here. And uh, you heard from you know Tim Holloway last week. He sort of uh, teased the event and what would be happening. But uh, I can already see they they got six computers set up right here, and it looks like you're going to be able to play with uh, one to two of the team members from the esports team so you have a chance to play with some of the best in the world and show your chops so we'll uh, we'll talk about it in more depth a little bit later there's not many uh, occasions where you can play like as a fan play alongside a professional athlete of a given sport so yes it's pretty cool that esports makes that happen or that accessible we'll discuss more but right now let's get to this hour's big three number one Congrats to Russell Wilson and Sierra. They announced that baby number three was on the way this week. But in more Russell news, he had his most controversial moment as of late. Now, I say that with air quotes and uh, with a little bit of sarcasm because it's about as controversial as Russell Wilson gets. He noted at the Pro Bowl that the Seahawks need to add a couple of pieces this offseason to take the team to the next level, the Super Bowl level. Even if that's true... Did you like Russell Wilson being the one to say it publicly, to advocate for it? There was a device. There were two different sides to this this week, and we uh, heard Danny O'Neill wrote a great piece for 710sports.com about it. I was on one side. Other people coming to Russ's defense about this. We want to hear your thoughts at 945 a.m. Also, speaking of Russ, three words have seemingly divided the Seahawks fan community uh, more than anything I can remember lately, and those would be let Russ cook. Seahawks analytics Twitter versus everyone else versus the world. So uh, I want to get dig into that at 9.15 a.m. Number two. 
Well, UW basketball continued their struggles as they fell to the University of Arizona earlier in the week, 75-72, and will face off against Arizona State a little bit later tonight. But for the Huskies, things looking bleak. Two and seven in the conference so far. Going to need a long run at the end of the year to help better their position for the Pac-12 tournament, and they must win the Pac-12 tournament uh, to get into the, the, the NCAA tournament. It's going to be a difficult road for them to get there, but that's essentially the path that they can take. And they can do it, but they really need some help from freshman Jaden McDaniels. Struggling a lot with fouls and technicals. He hasn't really been able to get his uh, rhythm really on this Husky team. And we actually saw Coach Hopkins put him on the bench during a game. He didn't necessarily bench him, but it was to help deal with an injury. Maybe that has something to do with his turnovers and lack of production in the game. But to get 32 minutes per game and to have only two assists and three turnovers, not good uh, numbers that you want to see from your star freshman. But on the flip side, Isaiah Stewart is breaking down walls and showing people why he should be a lottery NBA draft pick this year. His back to the basket. He's one of the most effective basketball players in the country right now. 57.4 field goal percentage from the field. 17.8 points per game and nine rebounds per. Can't wait to see what Isaiah Stewart does for the rest of the season. Number three. Well, it's been an otherwise stagnant offseason, at least in Jerry DePoto terms, what we've seen him do in the past, making moves, never one to shy away from that. But the Mariners did make a few moves this week, signed 34-year-old veteran right-handed pitcher Yoshihisa Hirano to a one-year, $1.6 million deal in a corresponding move to make room on their 40-man roster. They were released 22-year-old lefty Ricardo Sanchez and uh, and also agreed to terms with 34-year-old left-handed pitcher Wei-Yin Chin on a minor league deal. So adding some more veteran names, bolstering their, bolstering their lineup because it's February 1st, y'all. We are 12 days out from pitchers and catchers report date. My favorite month or my favorite day of this month. Um, I think it's the best holiday of this month, Valentine's Day, move over. But it's it's happening soon. We'll be heading down to Peoria, 710 ESPN, broadcasting live, both the morning show and the afternoon show, spending a week down there at different times to get you ready for the season. And this one, how should you be watching as a Mariners fan? We'll probably dig into that in the 11 o'clock hour. Where we've got some great sound from some of the young prospects to play for you that I think, you know, will give you hope for this season. That yeah, is, we're gonna. Oops, sorry. I was gonna say we're gonna need some hope, Lydia. We're gonna need some hope. <laughs> you know, hope is—it's uh, a beautiful thing. I think that's one of yes. the best parts of sports in general because even when things are not going your way, as long as you feel like you've got a sliver of hope, mm-hmm. and I think nothing better represents that than spring training. It, there's just this feeling about it where everybody doesn't matter what you did last season, doesn't matter if you lost a hundred games. You're all on the same, it feels like, playing field. And it just, maybe it's just co- coinciding with the revival of the spring and everything else of nice weather. You just you are filled with this wonderful feeling of hope. Yeah, no, and as a Coog fan, I think that's pretty much <laughs> what we delusionally drink all year to convince that ourselves Kool-Aid. that we have a shot. Uh, no, but um, look, I know over the past few weeks specifically Mariners fans have sort of had a tough time DePoto coming out and essentially saying that this isn't going to be the year again that they're still going to be pushing for next year and the season beyond as far as contending but 
you know, I we also thought the Twins were a little bit far, further away from competing, and look at where they are now. I mean, you look around Major League Baseball, and it seems like each year one team sort of rises to the top and surprises people. So, you know, maybe the Mariners will arrive a year early, and then they'll reward the people who stuck with them and stuck with it even in the tough times, because I know it's it's easy to jump off, but it's uh, it's a really exciting time. And you, like you said, hope is uh, is is fresh in the air. I know. I love it. Uh, Hopefully, you know, if you haven't been to spring training ever, you get a chance to go down and experience it at some point in your life because uh, it's really fun. And also, this is the year to do it, honestly, Mariners fans, because you're going to be getting up close and personal in Autograph Alley, wherever, with the the players that are that next generation because there is so much youth on this team. They will be very young this year and go through those growing pains. But, you know, you, you can watch them and say that you knew them way back when. Uh, yeah, how cool is that to be like, I was there, I saw Julio Rodriguez before he was J-Rod, like mm-hmm. I saw all of these players before they came up and, and made an impact on the scene, and and you're going to have, like you said, Lydia, access to them, the autograph alley, being able to chat with some of them after their games, and you know, you really have a good amount of access to these players, so if you're a baseball fan or a sports fan, I would highly recommend getting down to spring training at least once. Um, if you have kids, it's great with the kids. It's a whole family experience. So, um, yeah, definitely want to echo Lydia's remarks there and head down to Peoria if you can. I'll just tell this quick story of last year when I went with my parents for the very first time, and they're lifelong baseball fans. My dad grew up in Southern California, so he loved the Dodgers but also loved the Cardinals for some random reason. And then my mom grew up in the St. Louis area, so she loved the Cardinals, uh, and was we were able to go. They moved to Seattle, so they're huge Mariners fans as well. And, yeah, we were able to go, and it's funny how it will turn even a full-fledged adults into children. You know, you get that childlike yeah. sense of wonder. And there was a great moment at, you know, a lot of people don't know, you can also see the minor league spring training camp, which, again, you get even, it's almost just like going to a little league field. You get, mm-hmm. like, in those, like, three, four deep bleachers that you go to, like, Little League games on. You get to sit at, and Julio Rodriguez is right there. And there was a moment last year where Julio and Jared switched one cleat each so that mm. during batting practice, they were wearing one of each other's cleats just because they thought it would be funny and fun. And uh, those just types of moments where, you know, you get to see players be have fun playing the game that they love. I think it is really cool. It, it, it's hard not to have fun when they're having fun. So, yeah, highly recommend it. We'll probably dig into some Mariners discussion in the 11 a.m. hour. But uh, this hour, we've got plenty to discuss when it comes to the Seahawks quarterback. Congrats again to him and Sierra, Sierra who announced they were having baby number three on the way this week. But before uh, before we get into some of the comments he made later in the hour about adding pieces around him, we have to talk about the three words that have seemingly divided Seahawks fans. Let Russ cook. What exactly does that statement mean? Which side do you land on? It's next right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports Saturday. Lydia Cruz, Taylor Jacobs, alongside you. Thanks for hanging out with us this morning, February 1st. The offseason is in full swing. And so for that very reason, of course, we maybe are overreacting to little things because that's what we mm-hmm. do in the offseason. Right? Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's the entire point of the offseason is to <laughs> overreact, freak out, 
light your hair on fire, <laughs> run around, <laughs> scare people. That's the off season you should be used to. Exactly, because we do have the Super Bowl this weekend on uh, tomorrow, but after that. We'll have Dragons football in Seattle, which is exciting. But yes. it's also that, that gap of time where you miss the Seahawks. So, you know, overreacting to, to stories and things, it's just it, it's a way to keep the Seahawks, you know, alive and fresh in your mind. The thing that happened this week was at least seemingly uh, a division between the Seahawks Twitter analytics community and everyone else. And that would be on the subject of the simple statement, let Russ cook. Mm. What are the and, origins, Tay, of Let Russ Cook? I don't know. Maybe he was a big Julia Child fan <laughs> or Anthony Bourdain or even a Guy Fieri. Um, no, but in all seriousness, I think letting Russ Cook comes from watching Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson and essentially the way the offense flows through their quarterbacks. And they're quarterbacks who are extremely talented, both at creating opportunities inside the pocket and outside the pocket. So I think what people are clamoring for when they say let Russ cook, other than they want him to do a, a nice, you know, f- a fillet. Yeah. But I think the real thing that they want to see from Russell is early activity. So in that first and second quarter, a lot of passes, a lot of Russell – not necessarily the establish the run and have the pass come second mentality that Pete and his offensive coordinators have had the past few years. And I understand that, you know, the Seahawks tend to start games slow and they tend to be down in a hole. And if they had started a little quicker, you know, maybe they don't lose a game by an inch to the Niners at the very end. And maybe they stop Jimmy Graham and get the ball back and can run the clock out and are playing in the NFC championship. So, I think it has a lot to do with the early activity of Russell Wilson because in the second half, it's clear that Russell Wilson takes over the game and, and makes it his own. Yeah, it's, I say that and I ask that question because it's important to define what we're talking about before right. that's part of where the misunderstanding or the division uh, debate over this topic happens is because I think a lot of people don't even understand or know what those terms mean. Jake Heaps put this on Twitter earlier in the week about well, what, are the, what does that actually mean? What are, let's define some terms. And he talked about it on their show, Tom, Jack and Stacy, about just hearing this generic term floated. Uh, and so actually, I think it even inspired field goals to write a full article about it and, and define what their terms were. They got plenty of add-ons and additions from Twitter because that's where Jake keeps posted it. But exactly as you said, Taylor, that was one of the main stipulations that, oh, let's stop running on first and second so often. Let's uh, let's open that up to more passing plays. There was also, uh, I think it was Ben Baldwin also proposing that you actually construct your team around your quarterback better, whether that is getting better pass blocking up front, whether uh, that is giving him more weapons on the offense, that it's actually also from a team construction standpoint, then also that you go for it more on fourth down when it is, you know, when the, when the numbers support it. Yeah, and I know that, look, this this was really a divide both online and here even at 710. <laughs> yes. That multiple different hosts had multiple different reactions, different opinions. Even what they thought the term let Russ cook, what did that mean? <laughs> that meant something different to each of them as well. And, you know, you, you saw, and Jim Moore specifically, talking about how it's not necessarily the offense's fault. It's not necessarily that Russ isn't cooking. 
I think it's more on the defense and the defensive woes this year were the reasons why the team didn't end up being as successful as they thought they would be. You know, if you want to modernize something, modernize the damn defense. You know, let's talk about the defense and doing something different there. Yeah, they right. need to do something different with the defense, and I, I don't know enough about, about X's, better. X's and O's to tell you what that is, but, you know, if you want to take shots at anybody, take them at Ken Norton and not Brian Schottenheimer. I don't get the whole conversation about, you know, the offense and what's wrong with it and, you know, looking at other teams. Let Russell Cook. You know, hell's bells. Just, you know, let San Francisco do all their pre-snap stuff and let Sean McVay do what he's doing with the Rams and just leave Pete Carroll alone. Let him do what he's doing with Brian Schottenheimer. Well, to be fair, the very end of that statement, too, I would say you definitely have to include Pete Carroll's name if you are going to talk about modernizing the defense because there's no doubt that this is Pete Carroll's defense. Right, and being a defensive coach, and look, it's the same system they've been running. You you can't sit here and say that the offense looks the exact same as it did in 2013, because it doesn't. I mean, the new coordinator, mm-hmm. just just the new style in which they let Russell, they do let Russell cook, and they let him get outside and create opportunities and things like that. And defensively, they are still running a lot of the same things, still lining up in base a majority of the time, still trying to play man-to-man as much of the time as they can. So some of the things and the, the principles that they held true in 2012, 2013, are still the defensive principles that they hold true today. So I agree 100% with Jim Moore. It, it, look, if you look back at the games that they lost that they needed to win, the Niners game, right? The offense had that ball. They were one yard or one inch short of the goal line and scoring that touchdown, winning the division. So there's a few inches there. And then you look at the Jimmy Graham game. Defensively, they let him get that first down a few more inches if they had stopped him. Russell Wilson would have had another opportunity to go down and potentially score and win that game, which I know most Seahawks fans believe he would have done. So, yeah, just when you keep going back to these big situations, and it seems like, unfortunately, the defense has come up short. You know, you don't have that uh, ability to get after the passer like you have in the past, and we've, we saw what the results were. Not a lot of sacks, not a lot of turnovers. You had the long stretch with no turnovers. So it, it's really interesting to see when you take a step back and look at it, that truly letting Russ cook is actually not the plan we need for this team to get back on course. I think, yeah, Jim Moore's point is definitely valid, but I also think like as as in many debates, both these sides have a lot more in common than they actually think, but they Mm -hmm. get entrenched in their point of view and, and uh, yeah, right. It's weird in our country, uh, but that they actually have a lot more in common then they think. I loved the sound from Greg Rosenthal of NFL Network and also the Jesselnick Rosenthal Vanity Project, if you listen to that podcast this week, talking about what it means to let Russ cook. Right, exactly. And so that's it makes you wonder, you know, look, they're not going to change coaches at this point. I, that would be a, a, a total shock. But e- even the next coach, I wouldn't have confidence that Pete Carroll like, goes in a, in a different kind of more spread out way. I mean, he's the one that hired Brian Schottenheimer, you know, coming off some you know, rough jobs really uh, in the NFL. And yeah, I don't want to get carried away. Like I said, it's been a pretty efficient offense for, for parts of the Schottenheimer run. But uh, again, like Russ, I don't know. I just want to see Russ cook. What does that mean exactly, though? This is Greg on what he'd actually like to see from the Seahawks offense. I want to see them maximize Russell Wilson. I want them 
just you know spread things out to look a little more current to be a pass first type of team because I think Russell can certainly handle that and I, I just can't imagine that happening with Brian Schottenheimer as the coach. Like most things, Tay, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. In that, of course, there's ways that you can improve on offense. Although it was pretty efficient if you look at you know the offensive DVOA numbers or any statistic yes like last year. But there's just the the moments that it wasn't, or the the moments when you had to climb out of a hole or work almost play against yourself were so noticeable or so glaring because you played so many close games. And then you're right to your point as well as Jim Moore's point about you definitely need to change things on the defense. Yeah, and look, uh, again, we just get back to it. You mentioned DVOA, just also eye test, right? You watch that offense, and I just mentioned it. If Russell Wilson had gotten the ball back at the end of the Green Bay game, did you have faith that he was going to go down and score a touchdown? And if the answer is yes, then what are we doing? There, there is no, There's no real debate here because he's going to do that every single time, whether you're running on first down or passing on first down. And I know it, it's we have these instant reaction sort of mentalities now, right? Like every play you have to react. It, it, it is this or it isn't that. And it can't be, you know, a minor mishap or anything small. And Great to area. say, <laughs> yeah, to say let Russ cook to me implies they're not letting him cook right now and that they're holding him back, that they're really restraining him. And I don't feel that way. I honestly feel like, could they get him more opportunities to throw? Sure. But is he being held back by those numbers not being there? I don't think so. I think he's able to make the best out of every opportunity. And I think that's what makes people want the more passing opportunities, more, you know, Russell run plays. Like, I just think they see how special of a player he is and want to just put all the chips and eggs into that one basket. Well, speaking of giving Russ and maximizing his opportunities in about 20 minutes, we'll talk his sound about adding a couple pieces around him. He was advocating for that earlier this week at the Pro Bowl, so we'll play you that sound. But first, the Super Bowl is this weekend, and we and the NFL may be wrapping up here really soon, but we are going to have football in Seattle, and we're one week away from the Seattle Dragons playing their very first game. We have Seattle Dragons team president Ryan Gustafson in the studio. He's going to chat with us about how cool it is to build a franchise in your home city. It's next right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports Saturday. Lydia Cruz, Taylor Jacobs, hanging out internationally. Yes. In oh, Vancouver. Canada. Yes. I love it. But uh, coming to you live, we'll explain that, why Taylor has gone international in just a little bit. But right now, we also have another guest in studio, Ryan Gustafson, Dragons president. What's up? Hey, guys. Nice to join you. Thanks for having me on a Saturday morning. We are happy to have you. We're one week away from Dragons football, the first game, the first ever XFL game in this rendition in D.C. Yeah, we're playing in D.C., uh, taking off next Friday, playing Saturday at... uh, 11 a.m. local time on ABC. The first game, head coach Jim Zorn and our team will be out there, and it's, it's exciting times for sure. So what is your anxiety level right now? Because, uh, let's be honest, if yeah, one week away. It's actually, it's excitement. I mean, obviously there's a lot of work to do, and it's like kind of a nervous excitement, but at the same time, we're in such a great place, and 
you know, have a, an opportunity to build something really special. And, and you know, the, the team feels really good about where we are. And I know on the business side, we feel really great, too, with the fan support we've gotten. And so it's, it's an excitement, even if it is a little bit of a nervous excitement. So, Ryan, um, you grew up in Seattle. What's it been like to be on the inside of building this new professional team in the city where you grew up, the city you love? What has that meant not only to you, but the, the process in which building this team was like? Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, both of you are from Seattle, so, I mean, you, you understand this. Being a Seattle sports fan growing up on the east side uh, and getting a chance to build a brand-new sports team in my hometown, like, that's something that is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I think that, you know, the, the ability to do it for our fans, um, just because I am one, uh, is super exciting to me. Um, and that's what it's all about. Seattle is the best sports fans in the world. Um, I'm proud to be one. I'm proud to be in this city and, and kind of uh, do something that's really special and, um, you know, make a mark on the community that was part of a big part of my life. I think as Seattleites, we all have such a it's such a big part of our identity. No matter where I've lived or where I've gone, I've always had that be part of who I am. And so it's exciting to do it for the city, exciting to do it for the fans here. And um, I'm just really lucky to have the opportunity. It's a really incredibly loyal community. Yeah, so as you mentioned, even if you move away, you're, that part of your identity, there's, there's never really any, any Seattle, former Seattle sports fans that I meet. It sticks with people forever, which is cool. Uh, so I'm going to make you take off your like, executive hat and put on your fan hat because you mentioned you are a fan. What, as a fan, are you excited for to watch? Uh, our, our style of play, I think, is going to be the most fun. Um, you know, we've introduced some real innovations from having a 25-second play clock or, um, you know, running clock and just kind of speeding things up. And I'm excited to see those in action because I think that, um, you know, there are times when you watch other games, college or NFL, that you feel maybe it's a little bit slower, disjointed, um, penalties, reviews, downtime. And I'm excited to see our style of play eliminate a lot of that stuff and make sure that every play is exciting Every play is uh, it's more fast paced, and you know I also think we got a lot of talent on the roster. So you know I think that um, I'm most excited for other fans to see that and realize that this game is going to be fun, exciting, engaging, and something that is just uh, a really great uh, you know time to either be at CenturyLink Field or watch on television. And what other sort of experiences can we expect from that game day CenturyLink? XFL Dragons, what are the expectations you sort of have about the experience going into the first week? Uh, you know, the first home game, obviously, we want to build traditions with our fans that are uh, unique to us, that are authentic to Seattle. Uh, we just this last week uh, introduced the um, the home home opener giveaway, which is an orange towel. Um, brought sitting, a, you brought a sample. Yeah, I'm sitting in studio got mine right here. now. Yeah, yeah. You brought mine to right, Vancouver, cool. too. Let's go. So, you know, I think that uh, we're going to do some cool stuff with that. Um, there's such a great expectation and, and standard in this city around what game day experience looks like uh, from the 12th man ceremonies to scarves up with the Sounders to the, you know, what it's like to go to a game at T-Mobile park. Everything is so unique in the city and it's representative of Seattle. So we're going to do stuff that is, is also that fits into that um, makes it unique to Seattle fun for our fans, but it's also about building it for the long term, And we need to make sure that our fans are part of building those traditions uh, part of you know crafting the game day experience, and I think the most important thing to think about is this isn't just a one year thing. We're not the, what you see on the home opener isn't what it's going to be like forever. We're going to continue to build on it, make it better every week, uh, bring our fans into what they want to see on game day, and just continue to make it as special for our fans as we can. I, I want to talk about the rewards in a second, but first let's talk about the challenges because those are the things we. 
not take for granted, but we just assume have always been there. Traditions are things that we just we just they've always been there, right? But what are the challenges of having to build those from scratch? I think there, this is a unique thing where this is an, not just an expansion franchise in an already existing league. Uh, the Sounders 10 years ago or what the NHL is going to go through in the near future. This is a brand new league. And so we have to develop a fan base from scratch and we have to develop what our game day looks like from nothing. And there's a lot of challenges there. There's so many details that you know you don't see behind the scenes. Um, and those are the stuff that we need to make sure we get right game one. Uh, we want our fans to come to the game, have a great experience, feel like it's unique and authentic, but also just continue to build it day by day and uh, make sure that it, it's ever evolving and improving. So um, there's a lot of challenges and it's all really exciting. But to me, it's just making sure that our fans feel like that uh, we're doing something that's special, that's uh, you know authentic to Seattle and that they, they just enjoy being at. And you, you mentioned that. Now, on the flip side, what are some of the rewards you've seen in building these traditions from scratch? I mean, you, you get the blank slate, so you can create whatever you want. What have been some of the more rewarding or, um, I guess, joy-bringing moments that you've found in that process? I, I get the most joy when I go out in the city and people start recognizing who we are uh, or people say how excited they are for the XFL. Um, I, I don't run into where people are like, oh, this isn't going to work. This is a dumb idea or this will just never last. I run into people that once they understand what we're doing, they're excited for it. And they think it's just such a cool thing to give players opportunity to play the game that they love, uh, to have a new professional football team in Seattle, to be able to go to a game for $20. Like those are all things that are unique and exciting about us. Um, and so to me, that's the part that I get the most joy out of is, telling the story, getting fans involved in it, and just seeing the the joy on people's faces when they are going to be at the stadium is going to be so rewarding. And that's something that, you know, like I said uh, a little bit ago, building this in my hometown is really special to me. And so being able to, you know, create those memories is something that I'm excited for. I, I used to go to the kingdom with my dad to M's games or, or uh, Seahawks games and used to go to the key to watch the Sonics play. And those are my best memories, and I'm excited to create those for the next generation of Seattle sports fans. It's pretty cool. So, wait, let's talk about the roster for a minute. This week we had you in studio on Danny and Gallant, which was cool because we got to announce the partnership officially with 710. Yeah, it's gonna exciting. There's going to be a lot of cool content coming, whether it's the coach, uh, Coach's Show, Coach Zorn going to talk with John Clayton every Monday. Uh, weekly on Wednesday we're going to have an hour show, which I'm lucky enough to be a part of to be able to talk to coaches, to talk to players, and give you insight into the game. And then on Fridays, we'll also have a podcast that really delves in deeper into player stories. Because, as you mentioned, this is giving people opportunities, and there's a lot of players with amazing stories on this team. Can you give us just one or two that really like stood out to you and resonated with you? Yeah, I mean, I think... That is so unique where our players are getting a chance to play the game that they love and a, uh, a second chance in a lot of cases. I've heard so many great stories, and I'm excited that you're going to be able to, to help tell those. Uh, I remember interviewing Tani Tupo, who um, obviously played at University of Washington, grew up in the area. Uh, he was you know, working in construction, and when we drafted him, he was in Home Depot buying concrete. And he tells the story much better than I will, <laughs> and I hope that he gets a chance to do that. But you know his, uh, his story around getting the chance to play the game he loves – he played at CenturyLink as a high schooler at the University of Washington when they were renovating Husky Stadium. He played for the Seahawks as a fullback. 
and now he's going to get a chance to play for us. And, you know, that's a, such a cool story. And there's many others just like that. Um, I love the fact that we're going to give players a chance to play the game they love. Uh, new opportunities is what this league is all about. Um, and our player stories are going to be so unique and fulfilling. And, and to me, like, that's exciting to be able to see them doing this for the right reasons, the passion for the game, the love for the game, because that's what the X-Fall is all about, the love of football. So it's exciting. You had someone uh, coaching high school football, too? I think we had a couple different a couple, people. Yeah. Tani was coaching. Mohamed Cisse was coaching. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of guys that were involved with local high school programs just staying close to the game. Um, and when they got their names called, now they're going to be playing professional football at Central Link Field here in a couple of weeks. It's pretty cool. So cool. And, Ryan, really quickly before uh, you take off, I, I want to know who are some of the role models and people you looked up to in the sports front offices around the country? Because I, I think that's a good thing for us we're not involved in the day-to-day who did you sort of look up to and try to emulate when you were starting this process that's a great question i've i've been lucky enough to have a lot of mentors uh you know a couple names coming to mind the president of the seahawks chuck arnold was one of my first bosses when i was uh selling uh tickets for the seahawks and sounders he's someone i've always stayed close with and is one of the really great people in the industry that i've learned a ton from I've had mentors down in San Diego, my boss down there, Mike D, who um, you know is is still in the business, and um, a couple others as well from Major League Baseball. So you know, I've had a lot of really great opportunities that were given to me, um, and that's I've been lucky to have that, um, and some really great people that have kind of helped teach me, um, you know, about the business and about how to be a great leader, um, and just continuing to improve every day. So I'm lucky to have, to have had those opportunities, and hope that I get a chance to to give those to others as well. Pay it forward. I love it. So one week away from the very first XFL game, the very first Dragons game in D.C., but two weeks away from the very first home game. What will success look like to you on that on that first home game? Uh, I, I always say I, I want to make sure that our fans are able to say we did things the right way, that we were unique to Seattle, that we were authentic to what we said. And uh, if we can have people leave that game with smiles on their faces, mm-hmm. that they had a great time and we made some memories, that's success to me. Um, and, you know, if we continue to focus on the process of being uh, doing the right things the right way, I know that Seattle sports fans, they're the best fans in the world and they're going to rally behind this team. And we're not about a one year thing. This is about building another hundred year brand in this market. And so focusing on doing the right things, uh, being authentic to our fan base. And again, just sh- have, having them have a great time at our games. I know that we're going to be successful in the long run. Cool. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people get tickets, single game or season tickets if they're interested? Find out more information. Yeah, xfldragons.com. Um, and yeah, we have tickets available. Season tickets start at 20 bucks a game. Uh, single game tickets for a home opener on February 15th are available as well. So excited to see everyone at CenturyLink Field in a couple of weeks and appreciate you guys having me on. They'll, they'll get their orange towels. They'll get their orange yeah. towels. You got it. I love Thanks, it. Ryan. Thank you so much, Ryan. Uh, it's good to hear. Man, we're going to have football in Seattle. We were a little yes. depressed because you know we're not part of the Super Bowl this week, but we'll have football to watch next weekend, next Saturday. So pretty cool. Up next on Seattle Sports Saturday, well, speaking of those Seahawks, Russell Wilson did his best attempt at being, I don't know, controversial. Let's put that in air quotes. It's next on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports Saturday. Thanks for hanging out. Lydia Cruz, Taylor Jacobs, sort of in the house, in the house, across the border. In the continent. Exactly. Uh, And then 
Our own uh, Curtis Rogers also at the Super Bowl this week, so he is not with us, but doing pretty awesome things. And thank you to Dragons team president Ryan Gustafson for stopping by, taking time to come in here on a Saturday, chat with us one week away from XFL football. And yeah, Tay, I think uh, I'm I'm pretty excited to tell some of those stories of. Well, yes, there's names you know as Seahawks fans, whether it's Keenan Reynolds or Kaysen Williams, but. Uh, to tell the stories of their path to football because it's definitely not a straight line and and it's one of those situations where you know that they have to love what they're doing. Yeah, and and if you love the game of football, this is your opportunity to get some more professional level football in your life when the NFL is gone, when we're in the off season period, making all the mock drafts and all the free agency hope and wish lists. This is a great opportunity for you to to check out the XFL and see what it's about and. Look, I know people will have their sort of pre-made notions about what it's going to be simply because of what happened with the first iteration of the XFL, but we've heard it time and time again that this won't be that version. This will be a completely different style. And I'm really excited to see because I love the game of football. It's one of my favorite sports, and I think I'd love to see not a minor league, but just another league where yeah. we could watch this, you know? I like the word opportunity. That's uh, That's a great one. Uh, well, speaking of the Seahawks, though, the team we have seen play this year, and unfortunately not in the Super Bowl. We've got to watch the 49ers in it tomorrow. Yeah. But uh, we did get to watch Russell Wilson and Shaquille Griffin at the Pro Bowl last week. That's when Russell Wilson sat down, I believe it was with, was it First Take? He sat down with uh, an ESPN crew and was asked about potentially adding some more pieces. Did they? Does he think this team is complete, or do they need... I'll, uh, a few more pieces around. Are you confident, Russell, that the pieces are in place uh, on this team? To, yeah, I, th- to take I think the we need. A, I think we need a couple more. I think we need a couple more. I think uh, Jadavion's a big, big, big time guy that we would love to get back on our football team. He, he's he was so good in the locker room. He brought so many, you know, just havoc plays to the field. Um, hopefully, we can get a few other players there on, on defense, and then also on offense. We, we have a great offense, but I think we we can always add more pieces, and I think that's going to be the part that's going to be great with John Schneider and, and Pete as well in terms of this offseason's free agent. Free agency is very, very key to yeah. get you know, superstars on your team and try to get great players that can fill the space, and then the draft. We always do a great job in the draft, and that's going to be really important to, to get some young stars up and coming. Now, this was about as controversial, I guess you could say, as Russell Wilson gets, and I say that with a huge caveat because you know, some people were like, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. This is not controversial. You're doing your constant overreaction thing, as people are wont to do. But from the standpoint of this being your quarterback, your leader, there were two divisive opinions about whether this is what a leader does, is advocate and and be vocal about what this team needs. And then there was the other camp that was saying, well, you know, you are now moving into front office territory. Now at least at least stepping on the line, the gray area where you are advising someone else in the organization to do their job in a different way. Which side of the camp or which camp did you land on, uh, Tay, when you heard this comment? Yeah, it's one of those conversations that, again, I see the merits in both sides. I understand people saying, you know, don't make this a, a mountain out of a molehill, that this is just... This happens all over the NFL all the time that people are constantly asking for things, advocating for things. Look at Odell Beckham, I mean, asking to be released, asking to be traded, Antonio Brown asking for all sorts of crazy things. So I think why it was so jarring, and jarring might not even be the right word, um, 
I, I just think it's very un-Russell-like. And he's so himself in everything he does, no matter if it's the, a, a post-game press conference. You know, he's saying the same things that he would say if he was at the Russell Wilson QB camp with Jake Heaps. Like, he just preaches and lives by those exact things. So for me, I don't necessarily think it's disrespectful. I know it's a slippery slope if you listen to him, but I don't think it's disrespectful to ask. And that was the one thing I kind of found myself getting back to is that, look, you can ask all you want and you can talk to John and Pete and you can speak to them privately or publicly through the media. But it, it just feels like if your QB's not desiring more and, and by more, I mean just more success, not even necessarily more players, then, then you're not doing it right. Then you don't have the right QB back there. And, yeah, he did it publicly for the first time, but I still think it was a great move for Russell to show a little bit of that human nature, right? That we all want that more, we all want to strive for more, and he's been so robotic in the things he said that when he does open up, it catches us by surprise. Yeah, Danny O'Neill wrote a great article about this for 710sports.com that you could check out where he said that this at least moves towards the direction of breaking a cardinal rule of the Seahawks, which is, number one, Pete Carroll's team, protect the team. Now, I see how you could take this comment in two different different directions with that, though, because you could say, well, protecting the team is advocating to have the very best possible roster that we can have. I'm protecting the team by, by simply speaking up and doing my role as a leader. Now, on the other side, you could say, hey, this is actually disrespectful to the guys who are currently on that roster saying they are not enough. And does that take you in the opposite direction of, you know, negative reinforcement there? But I think we know Russell Wilson. We know who he is as a person. And I would tend to gravitate towards the the former, the thing where he is just saying, well, it is my duty as a, a leader to, to advocate for the best possible squad, because that's what we all deserve is to go to the Super Bowl. And factually he's correct because yes. if you if you aren't in the Super Bowl this weekend then yeah you are a couple there's something that happened that that means that is the reason for you not being there that you are a couple pieces short now i know you can argue they were hit with injuries and they were down to their fourth string running back and some guys that were semi retired earlier in the season but that's still to to Russ's point because they do need a few pieces. They do need more depth. They do need to be able to withstand those injuries. So I, I'm with you, Tay, where I tend to gravitate towards that camp, although I see merit to the point. And as Danny O'Neill mentioned in the very first line of his article, I'm about to be extremely nitpicky. And that's what you get when you have someone who is as good as Russell Wilson, because that's all you can do is be nitpicky. Because yeah, not he's, only that. he's so oh. composed in his real life. Mm-hmm. He's so great on the field that... Yeah, that's all you're left with. Yeah, and like you said, he's also composed on the field, right? He has this composure everywhere, and it's it's almost wrong to expect something else from him. So, again, it's a, such a great place to be to nitpick this team because you are just a few nitpicky pieces away, right? You're just a little th- – we're talking about depth, right? And you were talking about how the injuries impacted this team. That has to do with the additions they made in the offseason and in the season as well. You look at Jacob Hollister, Luke Wilson. They weren't on the active roster week one. They ended the season as your two tight ends. Like 
there, there's just certain amount of things that you're going to encounter in an NFL season and being able to adjust and, and, and work to find the best possible outcome through those situations, is, I think is one of John Schneider's strong suits. You saw he went out and got Marshawn Lynch, who was able to be a factor, and he was on the couch and serving shots of tequila two weeks prior. Like, mm-hmm. there just seems to be this feeling that they're so close, it's just a few things. And I think the Seahawks fans are struggling with right now what those few things may be because of how close they were this season, because they know what Russell can do, and because they know with Pete and John at the front office that this team should be competing for a Super Bowl every single year. I think it's important to note, too, that this, if could even be mentioned as critique, is about the front office. It's not about one of his peers. That would be a quite different conversation. If you're talking about someone on your team, uh, one of your peers needing to do something better or improve in a certain category, that's quite different than mentioning uh, something, a, a role of somebody in a, in a completely, or even a coach, you know, like you're calling, yes, technically because Pete is involved in the football operations part of it, um, but you're really, you're not calling out a peer, which I think would be more indicative of, of an actual cultural problem. So I think, Again, yes, this is the off season, and we tend to make uh, big storylines out of this. But it was a fascinating discussion because I do think, like at least from a standpoint of we've covered Russell for several years, and this is the most uh, vocal that you've ever heard him be about. And that just speaks to the evolution of him as a player, which has been fun to watch. We got to see more uh, emphatic expressions of emotion on the field this year. Whereas before, you would never see Russell bang on the ground because he's just so tired of getting those late hits and them not being called. We There were just moments of like outward frustration because he's feeling more comfortable in his role. This is his team now. So if you want to find a silver lining in it too, I think that should t- this comment should tell you that he's even more comfortable in that leadership role and the fact that this is his team, which he needs to feel empowered that way if they're going to make it back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and again, this is a playoff team. This was a team that was competing for a division, for its division in the NFC West. Had a chance to be going to an NFC championship, you know, had Jimmy Graham not fallen forward a few more inches. So, again, we're talking about little things that need to be done to just take that next step, just one step. They're on the door, right? The door is open. they got to step in. They got to go through the door frame and get in there, and it, they still need a few moves to do it. Look, they got to be successful in this draft, and that's going to be key. I know a lot of people are looking at free agency to be the fix-all, but a lot of those uh, cost-effective contracts come from drafting players and getting good talent in those later rounds. So, if this team really wants to compete for a long time, addressing it in the draft and finding those players long-term that you can add here, I think will be a big advantage to helping them, even in free agency, go out and convince people to come. It'll be fun to continue that discussion all throughout this offseason, the combine creeping up on you faster than you know. Then we've got the draft and OTAs and minicamp, and it will be here before you know it. So the, this discussion will not go away anytime soon. Coming up next on Seattle Sports Saturday, though, it's time for another big three. We take a look at the national landscape. There's a little game of football on TV tomorrow, Super Bowl 54. Yeah, we're going to preview that, plus a really touching tribute to Kobe Bryant. Uh, After he passed away, the sports world was rocked. Taylor, with a unique perspective on it, as well as 
the biggest basketball fan I know, so we'll discuss that. And a very touching tribute last night pregame for the Lakers as they return to the court. So we'll discuss all that, all that ahead in the Big Three next.